This is episode 181 of the Dear Discreet Guide Trouble at Work podcast. This episode is titled, Up, Up, and Away, the Angel Flight Book Launch. This was an interview that I did with Robin Carden about her new book that's the second in the Fly Girl trilogy, and it's called Angel Flight. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Dear Discreet Guide, Trouble at Work, where we talk about work, working, and how to make work better. If it's work-related, we're on it. Who knew talking about work would be this much fun? I'm Jennifer Crittenden, a former CFO and host of the show, and thank you for joining our quest to improve our workplaces. Let's do this. Welcome, everyone. I'm so excited to be here with my friend Robin for her book launch of her second book in the trilogy, uh, which is called Angel Flight. So, Robin, so great to see you. It's so exciting. We're live on Facebook, which I love saying, and we're recording on Zoom, and we've got people on Zoom. So, everything's happening. Everything is happening. But, Jennifer, you're the one that makes it happen. You are the straw that stirs the drink. (laughs) <laughs> I'm a stirrer, that's for sure. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to uh, kick it right off if you're ready. So the first question I'd like to ask you is, what is an angel flight? Um, an angel flight is exactly what I say it is in the book. It is uh, a medical flight in the civilian world uh, where a company will donate a, an airplane and crew And they will commit to fly someone who needs medical attention from an area where they can't get it Mm. to an area where they can. Um, The first time I came in contact with Angel Flights was when I was a flight instructor. We used to fly, uh, this was in Chicago suburbs. Uh, We used to fly child burn victims Mm -hmm. to St. Jude's. And as a professional pilot, the first angel flight I ever flew, the only one, which is mentioned in the acknowledgments section of my uh, book, was as a corporate pilot, uh, an all-female crew, a female captain and myself, flew uh, to Centennial Airport in Denver to take a woman who had a severe spinal cord injury, a Christopher Reeve injury, to the Mayo Clinic for specialized treatment. And when we saw her and saw how she had to be handled, I remember thinking there just would have been no way commercially she would have been able to get there and nor would her family have been able to afford to hire a private airplane. So my company, Baxter International, donated the airplane. And I always knew I'd write about one, but I didn't know how or when. Right. Yeah, it works really well in this book because it's the title and because we're introduced to the idea that there's an angel flight coming up, I think it just works really effectively to drive your narrative toward a climax. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, kudos to you for working the, the story that way, the narrative that way, because I, I really think it was very effective in keeping the reader engaged, knowing that this really critical flight was coming and coming and getting closer. And <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, it, it actually, it actually helped me, uh, because it, it helped it, it helped me be able to work backwards from the angel flight and and write the rest of the story. 
So I am going to dump our poor listeners and uh, watchers here into the middle of the plot, but I have to ask this question. Okay, so Tris is introduced to us in Fly Girl. So we get to know quite a bit about her. And in that story, I'm going to try my very best not to give away too many spoilers in this because I really do want people to to read this story. It's It's worth reading. And I think you'll really enjoy it. But we do get to know Danny in the first story. And he's really enamored with Tris, as I think any of us would be if we do her in real life. But in this novel, you explore his marriage quite a bit. And he he has moved on from Tris. He kind of got the clue that he wasn't going to be her one. And so he's married somebody else. Um, so we get to learn quite a bit about his marriage, the inner workings of it, and some of the problems that they're having. And I just wanted to ask you why you decided to go ahead and investigate that in this book. Danny is the only major, and by major I mean point of view character, is the only character who's, who tells a story in the book from his point of view mm-hmm. uh, that is going to have a, a point of view in all three books. I see. So uh, Tris is the main character, but Danny is the most important supporting character. So in Fly Girl, we told the story from Tris, Danny, Dieter, Zorn, and Ross. In Angel Flight, we tell it from Christine, Tris, Danny, and Bruce. Tris and none of the other, you know, uh, Christine, of course, and Bruce will not be in the third book, but Danny and Tris will be, and they were in the first book. Gotcha. Okay. So that's the reason to, to continue their story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. That, make, that makes a lot of sense. And then I did want to talk a little bit about the writing of this book, which did seem to me to be quite a bit stronger than in the first book. It moves faster. The sentences are more succinct. I think the action is more collected or organized, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And I felt as though even the language is more colorful or more evocative. And so tell me about that. Do you, do you feel that way about the writing or what do you think happened between the first book? and the Well, I don't, I don't, I, first of all, thank you. Um, I I don't know if I can really comment um, Mm. on that compliment. What I can say is my one goal. And if you ask anyone who worked on this book, um, including my editor, uh, my friends who read early uh, copies of it, my one goal was to write to to write a better book. Oh. Was to write a stronger book. Was to take what I learned in Fly Girl and apply it in Angel Flight and put out a better product. So it was my intention to do a better job writing the book. With you know, based on it would have been such a shame, I think, to have not used everything that I learned to make this a more readable book. Plus um, the editing uh, was really superb this time around. Um, I think, you know, I I definitely clicked with my editors. Uh, I had two or three that I worked with at various stages of the book and they did just did a superb job. They were exactly the right people at exactly the right time. Mm -hmm. And I benefited tremendously from their expertise. Yeah, well, you, you, it really worked. I think it's a, it's really a fine book. And, and we said earlier, you know, I really love Fly Girl, too. Uh, but yeah, this one really stands out in a 
in a way, in a more traditional writing way, I would say from the way the narrative is, is organized. Mm -hmm. So yeah, congratulations on that. Like I said, it was a goal. Yeah. So I have worked with you enough to know that uh, planning is a strong suit for you. You don't leave things to chance. And when I was uh, thinking about Tris in Angel Flight, I was wondering if you feel as though that's something that you, those were characteristics you had already, or if becoming a pilot actually strengthened those traits in you. Uh, So I was thinking about that scene not giving too much away, but there's a scene where Triss's co-pilot is quite nervous about the weather conditions. Mm-hmm. And Triss is evaluating what's happening. And she says very strongly that, that a lot of authority, you know, this is not a problem. I can cope with this. Right. And it does require some kind of spontaneous uh, flexibility on her part to cope with this weather that was unanticipated. And so I was thinking ha, that's interesting, you know, that a pilot obviously has to be organized, but also can be flexible. And then I was thinking, I should ask Robin, like, about her own evolution, or or do you feel as though you were always that way, or becoming a pilot changed you in some ways? I believe that the seeds were always there. Mm-hmm. Uh, remember, I was a trial lawyer before I was a pilot, so I learned how to prepare. Aha. Uh-huh. And as a trial lawyer, you have to always be ready for the unexpected. Mm. So I learned how to train myself to keep my eye on the goal so that anything unexpected would immediately be turned in my mind into, let me use this to forward my goal. This is how this forwards my goal. Mm. Um, Even as circumstances were ever changing, Um, that was no less true as a pilot, although becoming a pilot definitely hone those skills. You have to, as a pilot, you really have to fly that flight in your head before you ever even get to the airport. Um, particularly if you're pilot in command, if you're a captain. I remember when I was an airline captain, we would still be on crew rest at the hotel and I would be looking at a flight plan, checking the weather, because I have to know before I get to the airport, first of all, what facts don't I have that I need, if mm-hmm. any? And what facts potentially could affect this uh, flight? Always think ahead of the airplane oh. is, is something that we were, we were taught to do. You know, oh. always 10 steps ahead of the airplane. And that's what I would teach my students when I was teaching people how to fly. So, so I would say definitely being a pilot, hone those skills. Mm-hmm. And then I took them when I left aviation into consulting where I was a project manager. And it was such a natural fit, you know, having had the background in law and flying. Yeah, as I say, I've worked with you enough to know that, yeah, that, that that's a strength of yours. Oh, but yeah, so, I mean, it's great. You can apply that in, in all different areas. Always think ahead of the airplane. I love yeah, that. Yeah, always, always be ahead of the airplane. Always know what's happening 10 steps from now. Uh-huh. Uh, so, for example, if we would see on the radar that 20 miles ahead were some thunderstorm cells, we couldn't wait till we were right there to ask the traffic control, hey, can we have a left turn? You know, mm-hmm. you had to do it. You had to do it now. You had to plan for it. And that is the way I see the world, Jennifer. Uh-huh. Right. <laughs> I see the world. Yeah. I think it's a great image, right? Yeah. For our listeners to take away, right? Is that you're always piloting your own plane. So, yeah. So, yeah. Think ahead of what might be out there to get that's, you. Yeah. That's exactly right. All right. To uh, change the 
the topic here to something a bit more somber. I was uh, struck by the fact that, and again, I hope I'm not giving too much away, but uh, there is a character in the book who suffers from ALS. And my cousin died of ALS. And so it's a terrible way to go. It is. It was, it, it was shockingly horrible. I don't know quite else how to say it. It, There's nothing, there's nothing like it. There's nothing. Yeah, it it really was uh, unbelievable. And so I was curious in your, if you knew of someone in your life who had been stricken with ALS and yeah, what made you think of that? No one in my personal life, but I'm a huge football fan. Ah. And there's a very well-known football player who used to play for the New Orleans Saints, which is a favorite team of mine. His name is Steve Gleason. Mm-hmm. And he had to retire from professional football when he was diagnosed with ALS. Yeah. And he's been very visible. Um, you know, he has a, a very lucrative foundation and a lot of support from the NFL and the um, New Orleans Saints organization. And he has made a number of um, documentaries. So um. I, I watched them with interest and I was trying to decide the character who has ALS, the character Christine is a character that's been bouncing around in my head for many years. Mm. And she's always someone with a debilitating disease. Now I'm sitting down to write. I need to write about a character who has a debilitating disease. I'm thinking about all of the, the ones that we always think about cancer, of course, multiple mm-hmm. sclerosis. I needed to, to use one that would, would sadly very quickly cost someone their life, but leave their, their mind mm-hmm. completely untouched. Mm-hmm. And shockingly, ALS takes all of your faculties away from you, except your mind. So you get to watch what is happening to you. Yeah. And that was a very, as you know, a very important part of the story. So, uh, but, but it was, it was having known about Steve Gleason that got me to do further research. And I watched a few um, documentaries, other documentaries on ALS, did a lot of reading and was just the level of compassion I, I had for anyone, you know, who had that disease was just astronomical, but that was what I chose. Mm-hmm. And that was why I chose it. Yeah, it works very well in the story. It's interesting. There's actually quite a bit about death in mm-hmm. in the story. It's not depressing at all. I don't want to scare off our our listeners and potential no, readers. Yeah, it no, it's it's not. It's treated in a very matter of fact way, which is of course a, a reflection of of your own personality and your approach to life. And Christine talks about death as a project to be managed, which is, you know, that'll stick with me for a long time. That is my hands down, my favorite line in the book. And I wondered if, if you feel that way as well. I have thought that. Uh, I remember when my mother was in hospice, uh, I went out to New York, which is where I'm from and where she was. And my brother and I started planning her funeral. Uh-huh. And we did all the things you were supposed to do. And this was while she was still alive, which I always thought would be incredibly morbid, but it really wasn't. It was matter of fact to me. Her death was not matter of fact in any Interesting. way. Gotcha. But, but the process of it. And that kind of, you know, that kind of stuck with me a little bit. I remembered that. I, you know, this is so funny. When I sat down to write Angel Flight, uh, Christine has a very specific job. 
and an expertise that is very um, close to her situation. Mm-hmm. That just came up. That just uh-huh. popped up while I was writing it. I had absolutely no idea who she would be ahead of time. I just knew she would be disabled. Well, this is one of those things that you hear writers talk about is that they're, sometimes the characters just take over and they just, yeah, they never start, tell, they start telling you before. what's going to happen. Yeah. yeah never, I've never had that happen before. Isn't that um, fascinating? And, and that was, so the Christine character um, is maybe one of the ones I'm most proud of. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, yeah, you should be. Yeah, she's great. Yeah, she's really great. Okay, so I've got to switch gears again. Sorry, these questions are all over the place. Uh, so the there's a, quite a bit of discussion in the book, which was all very eye-opening to me, about whether or not if a pilot goes in for mental health mm-hmm. therapy, if that will be used as grounds to mm-hmm. ground the, the pilot. And it, it's a real issue in the book where you have people who could potentially benefit and either they choose to do it and they're terrified they're going to be find, found out or potentially even worse, they decide that they, they just can't risk it. And so is that is that still the case today? Yeah. Oh, every really? Bit. It is every bit the case. I belong to a number of Facebook groups where female pilots speak confidentially about issues mm-hmm. and the issue of seeking therapy is still discussed to this day, 20 years later. If you disclose that you have been uh, treated and you have a diagnosis, say depression, which is the catch-all diagnosis or anxiety or um, some other type of of disorder uh, and the, the aviation medical examiner who every professional pilot has to visit at least once a year, most of us every six months, uh, they can do what is called defer your medical. If your medical is deferred, you cannot fly. You don't just need a pilot's license to fly a plane. You need a pilot's license and a current medical certificate. Wow. Those two things, when the FAA does its its spot inspections on the airplane, those are the two things they need to see to make sure you're legal to fly. If you don't have one, you cannot fly. You know, and, and we always used to say, you know, the, the scariest part of flying a plane was doing your six-month medical, because if the aviation medical examiner finds anything wrong um, or defers your medical or doesn't issue it, you're done. Wow. And that issue came up also in Fly Girl, but in a much different context with Larry Ross, the character Larry Ross. Oh, yeah, I guess I do. He didn't that. disclose something on his medical that would have also grounded him. But it wasn't that. It wasn't that. It was something different. Sheesh. I mean, I know I'm preaching to the choir here, but wow, does that seem backwards, I guess I would say? It's unbelievable. Aviation is still in the dark ages when it comes to mental wellness. It, mm. it, it always occurred to me they should be encouraging people. Right? To, You'd think, right? Yeah. They will feel better so they don't do the, the whole idea um, behind some of the story in Angel Flight was inspired by a 2012, I think it was 2012 incident in Germany, German Wings Airlines. It was in the news. The co-pilot was suffering from severe depression. He'd been hospitalized and he was much better, but he took a turn for the worse. He locked the cockpit door and he flew his airplane into a mountain, you know, with a couple hundred passengers in the back, which told me 
you know, mental wellness, you know, emotional wellness is as important as any physical skill for flying an airplane. Absolutely. But, but yeah, absolutely. the FAA is way behind. There's a character in Angel Flight um, who has some other, a female pilot who has some other physical problems mm-hmm. that are related to menopause. Mm-hmm. And the FAA throws its hands up, you know, and there's, there was a lot of discussion about whether she should disclose it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for it's sure. incredibly sad, but there's a reason the percentage of female pilots hasn't risen very much in the last 20 years. And, and this is part of it is the FAA's approach to issues that are, you know, related to, to, you know, problems that, that women would be more likely to have. Yeah, sure. But as we could see in Angel Flight, there are situations that arise that are going to be very disturbing for a normal person and probably no less disturbing for a pilot. And giving them, I mean, just giving them an opportunity to to talk about what has happened to them. I mean, my gosh, it just seems so heartless to just be like, oh, no, suck it up, Buster, and get back the You know, this is all part of that whole macho uh, patina that that shields aviation yeah. uh, just supposed to you know pick yourself up by your bootstraps and those bootstraps uh can be pretty dangerous mm-hmm. I, I can honestly say now i talk a lot in both books about compartmentalization mm-hmm. you know which is where you get in the cockpit and you push your troubles aside mm-hmm. which was one of the things i liked about flying sometimes was mm-hmm. that i could legitimately concentrate on something else but I think we have some examples in Angel Flight where we have characters who were simply unable to do that. Yeah, right. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a great tool, but you can't always do it. Right? No, no. All right, let's talk, about, uh, let's talk about romance. So as you know, I've written some books about gender issues at work. And in my first book, which was my most you know, heartfelt, uh, this is my you know, proclamation to the world, I think I devote nearly a whole chapter or part of a chapter Mm -hmm. to advising my readers to be extremely careful Mm -hmm. about getting emotionally involved or romantically involved and sexually involved with people that they work with. And so I am the anti-sex at work person. That's my, I've put my stake in the ground. In fact, I've even had uh, interviews with major media outlets in which that's me. I'm the anti-sex at work person. Yeah. And of course, as much as I advise people not to fall in love with people that they work with, or at least try to avoid falling in love with people that they work with, it happens all the time. And every day people fall in love with uh, people that they work with. And there's a whole bunch of stuff in there that I say, you know, be careful about socializing with someone late at night, be careful about alcohol, traveling together, careful about being with someone that you work with when you are emotionally vulnerable, you know, so I have all these things, be careful, careful, careful. Then when I was reading Age of Flight, I was starting to think, oh my gosh, tick off every single one of these, right? Of course, they're traveling together. Of course, they're in close quarters. Of course, they're socializing. So it seems like my advice for pilots would be almost impossible to follow. What, What do you think? Aviation is a very closed community because of the nature of the work. There's no regularity to your schedule. You tend to socialize with your crews and other crews. There is a tremendous amount 
of fooling around that goes on um, in aviation. You know, I've fallen in love with someone I've worked with and flown with and Tristan too, but in Tristan's defense, um, they were not coworkers uh-huh. when she started dating him. And in fact, becoming her coworker was a huge issue for her. But she elected to continue with the relationship and, you know, and, and it, it came back a little bit to bite her in one very, very important aspect. And she may have lost the respect of her boss and maybe some opportunities. Yeah, that's always what we worry about is what are the repercussions? Because often in my experience in the business world, those liaisons would often end badly. And then there's just a huge amount of fallout to deal with. And so my position always was, you know, why start down that road if you can avoid it at all? And in fact, in a way, Angel Flight is a bit of a cautionary tale for that. Although I think as readers, because we care about Tris and we want her to be happy, you know, we're, we're not judging her the way we might if, if, if we were in that situation in real life, because we, we do want her to find a, a romantic partner. But yeah, we are, we're not actually that far apart because your story does show some of the things that can happen. And then Tris's friend, Di, actually kind of jumps down her throat about it in one particular. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, again, I'm going to try and talk about this without giving too much away, but she does kind of say to her, you know, point blank, oh, fishing in the company pond, are you? Mm-hmm. And then she follows it up with an actually pretty cruel comment about something from Tris's yep. past, yep. which, which yeah. was pretty gratuitous and, and pretty irrelevant. And so I couldn't help but feel like, all right, you know, take that with your, with your judgment, right. About somebody, about getting involved with, with someone that you, you know, work with. Well, so Tris then tries to explain, you know, and she says, all I do is work. And when I'm not at work, I'm on call. The limitation to my ability to socialize is huge. And I think that's a valid thing to say. So, yeah. So tell me what you were going to say. Um, the whole Diana character, I, I wanted to flesh her out a little bit more. She comes back again in, in book three. Okay. I don't know if it was very subtle. I didn't want to make too much of it, but I was wondering, you know, that aggression, that being more aggressive was actually a physical reaction uh-huh. to what she was doing. Um, and most people didn't, didn't pick up on it. Um, some people did, I don't know if you did of what, what she was doing and and why she, she was behaving in that, in that way. Mm -hmm. But at the end, I think we all find out Uh that that she was not taking care of herself as well as she could. Uh Um, so that was, that was, I, I, I wanted to use that personality change that she was going through to give her an opportunity to call Tris out on the relationship so that I could educate the reader yeah, about what it's, you know, if, if you're flying, I, I remember my years flying, the only guys I dated were other pilots. Oh, wow. Because that was, they were, if I dated at all, mm-hmm. because they were the only people, they were the only people I ever met. And one of the ones I did date became the model for the Braun character. Oh, uh-huh. Yeah, it's, I think it works really well because it, uh, although it's harsh, 
She does call her on it. As some of uh, the readers might be, the anti-sex at work people like me might be like, hmm, now look what you're getting yourself into. Mm-hmm. But it gives Trish a, then a chance to explain, you know, the realities of her life. And to be fair, I think a lot of young people today would make the same comment about some of the really consuming careers that they're in. You know, working in Silicon Valley, you're expected to work long hours, and you're going to end up socializing with people that you work with because you don't have those other opportunities. So I, it's, it's valid. Yeah, I spent a year in-house at Amazon up in Seattle. Uh-huh. And I wish I could tell you how many married couples um, were, were both Amazonians, um, as they're called. Uh-huh. Um, and, uh, and they built their, their lives and their careers around Amazon. Mm-hmm. You know, this was their life. Amazon is a company that asks a great deal of its employees. Mm-hmm. As I'm sure many of us know, um, the publicity, there's something to that publicity. I loved working there, but, but they asked a lot of you. Yeah. If you're not, if you want to be in a relationship, you, if you're not with someone who also works there, you know, there are going to be challenges. Yeah. So unfortunately, Tris uh, does end up in a challenge, unfortunately, right off the bat. Yeah. With yes. her, with her new bow. Yeah. And then, you know, the situation that you set up is like any normal situation, but, but, but uh, carried to an extreme. And that is where now it turns out she and her paramour are, as it turns out, competing for the same position, which she at least was not aware of when she got involved with this guy. And they're trying to have a relationship in the middle of this. And you, you know, it's no holds barred. You talk about what they're thinking about when they're together, when, while that decision is still pending, how it affects her attitude toward the toward this budding relationship, which has just barely had a chance to get started. Right. right. And, and at one point she asks herself, well, you know, if I had to give him up in order to get, get the job, would I do so? And her answer is, I'm not sure. Um, what I tried to do there, because Mike is not a point of view character. Um, so yeah. we're seeing that from Trissa's point of view. I had... Another one of my goals in this book was to make her more relatable. She was a little, you know, she was multidimensional in the first book, um, but I wanted to give her even more dimension in this book. And she's making all these big decisions at work um, and she's got great judgment. And here she is in her personal life. She can't make a decision about anything. You know, that that's a, an issue with pilots too. Um, they're incredibly decisive at work. And then in their personal life, they're like wishy-washy. My, uh, my ex-boyfriend, the pilot, you know, we were in the cockpit together. I was never, uh, I never doubted, but he would ask me, go, where do you want to have dinner? I don't know. <laughs> want Mexican? I don't know. Do you want Chinese? I don't know. You know, I couldn't, I couldn't pick a restaurant, you know, I mean, once I got the cockpit and I used to say to him, look, I make a thousand decisions yeah. every day in the cockpit. I don't want to make any more decisions. Right. I wanted to make her a little bit more indecisive, you know, in her personal life. Like, I don't know what I really want. You know, we, we, we preview that at the beginning of the book, you know, what do I want? What does she want? You know, she has a little trouble deciding. She thinks she can have it all. She goes for it and things happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, things happen. But I really appreciated that about her, that she's not a stereotype, either, you know, sort of this, yes, I want to be this, um, 
ambitious career woman. But as soon as a man walks into my life, oh, you know, because yeah, I, yeah, I find those characters irritating. And uh, then, they irritate uh, me too. <laughs> and then, you know, the opposite where, where sometimes on television or in the movies, a, a character gets painted as just this hard-nosed, you know, ambitious career woman. And, you know, she's kind of heartless. And that's just not how people are. So right. I, I, I really... I, we've talked about this before, but uh, I really appreciate that your characters are real people. Thank you. That, that's hard. That's hard work. That anyone who um, tries to write a book, as you know, is ridiculously hard work to begin with. And then if you're writing about something you're an expert in, which you are, uh, that's you know I think maybe a little bit easier when you're trying to create someone who doesn't really exist. <laughs> right. I don't know. Yeah. I can't speak to that. I've never written nonfiction, but one of these days you and I are going to have to hash that out. <laughs> yeah. So I should tell the listeners and watchers that I interviewed Robin after the release of her first book. And we did talk quite a bit about the characters in Fly Girl in there. And I think we did kind of let loose with a bunch of spoilers. So I'll show a link to that episode too in the show notes right. for this one. Yeah, because it, it's worth it's worth exploring how you have such complicated characters. And I remember saying to you, with some of these characters, I think if I met them on the street, I would know who they were. Which is, I mean, that's that's amazing. Fly Girl, right? you know, Fly Girl was based on a true story. Yeah. So the characters were incredibly vivid to me because they were based on real people. Yeah. Um, and I could see them as I was writing them. Now, obviously. They weren't real people, not their names, not their mannerisms, not the, you know, the characteristics, but they were definitely inspired by real people. So, you know, they were very, very vivid to me. Mm -hmm. And, and I was talking earlier to a group and saying that, um, I was asked one of the, the favorite questions asking writers, I'm sure you've been asked this too, Jennifer, is, is do you write by the seat of your pants or are you a planner? Do you outline? Mm -hmm. And I don't outline, but I write the book in my head. Yeah. I can see it happening in, in like, it's like a reel in my head. It was very easy for me to see the characters in Fly Girl in my head because I had seen them in real life. Um, it took a little longer, but eventually I was able to see the characters in Angel Flight in my head behaving in the way that, that I have them behave. And one of the reasons I don't think I'm any, as for, any further along than I am with the third book is I don't see that reel yet. I see part oh. of it. Hmm. Um, I see the very, very beginning chapters and the very, very end chapters, but I don't see the middle yet. So when I do, I will sit down and finish writing it. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's interesting that yeah, sometimes they, the story takes its own time, right? You can't always force it. Force a can't I, I can't, you know, I could sit down, like a lot of people say, and force yourself to write a thousand words a day. I suppose I could do that, but it would be gibberish and I'd end up throwing it out. So. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, that doesn't make sense. Okay, so back to our dilemma here. So when I was thinking about Tris and uh, her uh, new boyfriend, her paramour there, and then the situation that they get into where they're both competing for the same position, and this is where I kind of had my own little, hmm, because I was thinking about if I were their boss, so the person who's making the decision about who's going to get this big promotion, and thinking, putting myself in his shoes and thinking, okay, I've got these two candidates, both very good, different, but both very good for this very senior position. Now, in the book, he's not aware that That's they right. are 
they, they are sleeping together, which sometimes we're able to keep these things secret and sometimes they do slip out, but what a mess. And I think if I were to be aware of it, it's possible. And, you know, I'm just going to be brutally honest here. I think uh, it would affect my decision. And, and here's how it would affect it in ways that I think are really horrible for Tris. And that is one is I think I would be tempted to go look someplace else. So I wouldn't have to. You would go outside the company. I would go outside. Yeah. So I wouldn't have to pick between the two of them, knowing what that might do to their relationship or, or who knows, you know, just to kind of put that all to one side. And I also feel as though even in this day and age, I have a sense that it would be considered less controversial to pick him over her than to pick her over him. And of course it's, it's fiction, right? But I did wonder if you felt as though if she hadn't been involved emotionally with her coworker, if her chances at getting that job would have been better. There's something that happens in the book that causes her boss to make a decision against her. It's a mistake that she made. Mm-hmm. Why did she make it? Well, you know, it's it's related to her relationship. Uh-huh. Something to do with her relationship is, is the reason she made a bad decision. Mm-hmm. She, and and that's as much as I want to say about that, except to say there's there's the good old boy network that, that figures in to the way decisions are made in aviation. But the bottom line is... Let's just say Tris takes responsibility for what happens to her, whatever that is. And, That's and, that, true. and that was important to me to make sure that my character, my main character, my female main character, uh, no matter how the, the chips fell, took responsibility for the things that she did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's true. There's, there's really, I can't think of any kind of woe is me uh, behavior right. in the book. No, she she's a very stand-up person for sure. Yeah, so I was going to mention that too. There's a place in the book where somebody is talking about another pilot and they say, well, you know, I've known him for years. Yeah. And, and, yeah, and Tris at that point says to herself, oh, you mean like the old boys club? Oh, yeah. I didn't know. It is, yeah, it's, it's a very funny moment in the book where, yeah, she's, she, yeah. It, it's funny how sometimes people who work with each other are so oblivious to what someone like Tris might be thinking. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's, I just find it so amusing. You know, it, 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 it it's, it's just so, it, it's just, uh, it, it's the type of thing that we would internalize to the point where I still see young pilots today saying, well, I, you know, it's the old boy network. I have to deal with it. And I just hate that. Mm-hmm. Um, I hate when I see things like that. Um, I never accepted it. I spoke up and I paid the price for doing that. Mm-hmm you know, more than one time, because I just, you know, I, I wasn't somebody who's 22 years old right out of flight school. When I was flying, I was in my thirties and I had a law degree. So I mean, there were, there were certain things that just simply were not acceptable to me. Mm-hmm. And boy, oh boy, um, I paid the price for those things, <laughs> for, for speaking up about those things. 
Yeah, Tris has a different approach. She's very watchful and she's very observant, but she she is, and I very much relate to her in that regard. She is very careful because of her ambition. Mm -hmm. And I was too. I was not a troublemaker until later (laughs) because I worried. And I think I was right that there were certain behaviors that were going to count against me if I tried to make, if I, if I made waves. So I, so I tried not to. You know, what's funny is in my business experience and in my flying experience, it was okay to be a woman, but you had to be the right kind of woman. Yeah. You couldn't be, you know, in, in so many circumstances, when I would speak up about something, had I been a man, I would have been congratulated for making such a poignant observation. But as a woman, you know, Oh, I, I was either dismissed or the B word or, or the C word, as we hear a little bit in, in, um, in Fly Girl, because I wasn't the right type of woman. In a career that I had for a long time, um, which was dominated by women, you still had to be the right kind of woman. Mm-hmm. You had to be married and have children in order to have any respect at all from, from anyone else. Um, wow. If I was single and didn't have kids, you know, I, I was disrespected for that reason, by other women. I mean, I got to tell you, it is tough, tough, tough (laughs) out there. I know. Um, But I managed, you know, I did okay. I have no complaints. Uh, I've seen, I've just seen some really strange things. (laughs) Right. So back to the books, I think that there are some scenes in Fly Girl, which are so dramatic and so extreme. Mm -hmm. And I remember kind of pressing you about how much of that was real. Mm-hmm. And I had some of the same thoughts about Angel Flight. You mm-hmm. know, it's a little bit different. It's not oh, yeah. as, as uh, autobiographical. But I was curious about kind of scenes in the air, you know, where very dramatic things can be taking place. And of course, right. you're, in, you're in the air. So, right. and then I was also thinking about like 9-11 right. and how we feel now about uh, these life or death situations that happen in the air. And so I was curious to ask about your own personal experiences and and how that all has affected you. I have had experience with just about everything that happened in Angel Flight, except of course, what happened on the Angel Flight itself. Okay. I've not had experience with that. I will say that it was my intention to conjure the specter of 9-11. Oh, really? Oh, interesting. Oh, there. That worked. <laughs> that, is, that is the time at which my third book is set. Oh, fascinating. Okay. Thank you for seeing that. I mean, this is why I love talking to you, Jennifer, because you just pick up on all my clues. It's the writing. I can't take credit. It's, it's the writing. Yeah, okay. no. Yeah. <laughs> and the editing. And the editing, because I'm sure my editor will be listening to this at some point. <laughs> Jennifer. Uh-huh. Her name is Jennifer, too. Only oh, the, okay. Only the best people. <laughs> well, there's a whole army of Jennifers now. There so, are, yeah. <laughs> you are not the only two. That is true. Well, I think that's a great uh, time for us to, uh, to draw the formal part of this to a conclusion. Congratulations on the book. I'm so pleased to be part of the book launch. Yeah. Woo-hoo-hoo. And then I'll just ask if there's anything more that any questions you wish I'd asked or anything that you want to share here at the end. Um, to those of you in Southern California, um, if you're so engaged on Sunday, September 27th, uh, the largest independent bookstore down here, Warwick's, mm-hmm. 
is hosting me for a book signing, a socially distant and responsible book signing. Nice. Which will take place outdoors under a little canopy. So if you want to come down and buy the book and many, many, many copies of the book um, and have me sign it, uh, that would be great. Uh, And of course, if you would prefer to buy it online, you can still do so at any of your independent uh, favorite indie bookstore or any of the major retailers. So thank you um, for being here and thank you for considering that. And I suppose I would ask if anyone has any questions. Yes, I'm glad you mentioned that because we are having uh, people participate on Facebook because we're streaming live on Facebook. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Are they asking questions? Yeah, so I've got some some great comments here. Uh, So this is from Lori. I won't identify her any further in case she doesn't. Oh, you can because I'm sure it's my friend. Is it Lori Oliver Tierney? Yep, that's her. Yeah, okay. So she says, Smiley and I are enjoying getting to know you more through this. He was nodding his head when you talked about medicals and re- renewing his license every year. He's always stressed about that. So, um, wow, what a, what a learning opportunity. And he's the us. one I was talking about, the person who was involved in air attack um, that put out fires, that put out these fires, um, and that still is a pilot. So um, her husband, Smiley. Gotcha. Yeah. And then she also says... But she also mentions that it's really important to take responsibility. So I think she's relating to uh, to Tris about that. And then she also has another comment. Uh, I'm sorry you had to pay so highly for speaking up. Me too. Yeah, you know, it's interesting reading these comments and this reflecting just briefly back on our conversations. I think it really behooves all of us to be a little kinder to each other because people yeah. are going through a lot and maybe I'm especially reminded of that during the pandemic and, and 2020 has just been such a frightful year, oh. but, you know, but just let's be nicer to each other because people are under so much pressure and sometimes it doesn't make sense for them to be under that pressure. And, and when people misbehave or, or speak up inappropriately, or even if it should be appropriate and it's not, I just hope we're all a little kinder to each other. It isn't easy um, sometimes when you're so frustrated yourself to be able to let another's frustration go. Um, but I completely agree with you. Um, this is a time where I always say nothing that happens during this time. I will not hold anything that anyone does <laughs> against them because none of us are, are, are we're at our worst. We're all yeah. at our worst. No one deserves to be judged at their worst. And one of the things I can say about aviation is I was always judged at my worst. And, and every, when it went, if somebody wanted to squash me, they would pick something that happened when I was at my worst and use that, you know, I never got the benefit of the doubt. You know, was it my personality? Was it being female? Was it a combination of all of those things? Was it timing? Was it circumstance? You know, there's just nothing you can do about that. But one of the things I learned from that is never, ever judge someone at their worst. Yeah. I think that's a great, uh, that's a great takeaway from this. So yeah, always be ahead of your airplane and don't judge people at their worst. Were there any more questions? Here's another one from Lori. Robin has been so kind to me and has been generous with her knowledge and shared with me as a fellow author. Thanks. Wow, that's lovely. Well, I'll tell you, it, it's easy to do. Lori, uh, we're, we're both with Acorn Publishing. We have the same publisher. Oh, right. Lori wrote a memoir called Trudge, A Midlife Crisis on the John Muir Trail. Lori hiked the John Muir Trail in her- Oh, lovely. 
which I personally think is insane. <laughs> and, and she writes about it in this book. And it is one of the most gripping stories I've ever read. And I know nothing about hiking. And until I, I met Lori, I didn't know anything about the John Muir Trail. But we are taking this author's journey together. Mm-hmm. And it is quite the event, as you well know, you know, being a published author yourself. It's one thing to write. It's another thing to publish. Um, they are not the same. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's true. I love the title of her book. And yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so we should mention that I was also honored to host Robin for the Eastern Sierra Book Festival, which is normally held in person <laughs> up in, in the Eastern Sierra at Mammoth Lakes. Yeah, it would be really wonderful to talk to Lori about the John Muir Trail because it does run right through this section of the Eastern Sierra. Well, um, we're hoping to have the Eastern Sierra Book Festival live next year. We're hoping. Uh-huh. And, and I am hoping to get up to Mammoth for it. Yeah. Um, and I will work on pers- trying to persuade Lori um, to come and join me. Exactly. Yeah. Bring her along. Yeah. That's a, it's a great title, Trudge. I love it. It's a great book. Good. Okay. I think I've uh, worked through my questions and uh, congratulations again. And let's see, just checking here for any last minute questions or comments. I don't, oh, oh, Lori says she'd love to come. All right. Oh, we're, great. We're, yeah, we're working this out right on the we're spot. Doing the program, we're, we're doing the program right now. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So she says happy trails. Okay. Um, so yeah. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Robin. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you, everyone who's attended. It's great to see you, and I hope you enjoy the book. Thanks again. Good luck with your next one. Thanks for listening, everybody. Well, the pandemic isn't really over, but it seems as though we've moved into a different phase where our lives have a bit more normalcy. As a result, we're adjusting the format of the show back to fewer, more lengthy episodes airing on Tuesday and Friday and sometimes on Sunday, since those Sunday literary episodes have been very popular. Speaking of which, our downloads have exploded during the pandemic, so thank you for your patronage. If you like what we do, you can support the show through our Patreon page. Another way to support us, which doesn't cost anything, is to follow us or like us on Podomatic.com, and that will help us increase our visibility. Also, we'd love to hear from you. Drop us a comment about who you are, what you like, or if you have a comment about the show. And finally, I also run a professional training company for people who want to advance in their careers with courses on communication skills, executive presence, and accent reduction. You can find out more at discreteguide.com, D-I-S-C-R-E-E-T-G-U-I-D-E. Please take care and let's talk again soon.